Welcome to Heartbeat, a podcast run by Altawan College, where we discuss how to flourish in all things life, work, and relationships. We'll listen to the stories and wisdom of our staff and draw upon outside guests who are practitioners in their field. We hope these episodes inspire and equip you to flourish, whether in the context of Alter One or beyond to the rest of life. Well, I am your host, Nathan Forster, and today I am with one of our regional principals, Kevin Kendall, and we're going to learn about his story and also his journey in Alter One education and also leadership within not just Alter One, but also broadly, I would say, life. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, it's good to have you here. It's, uh, I'm excited. So uh, first of all, uh, Kevin, what's your role in Alter One? Sure. So I'm the regional principal uh, for North Metro, and for the people that don't know much about Alter One, it's broken up into regions. Um, so I oversee four campuses and a tech program, and um, yeah, I enjoy it. I love working with people. Yeah, fantastic. And you've worked with a lot of people in your time as a within education, I imagine, in a leadership role, or yeah. So I've worked in education for nearly 40 years, um, 1984 I started, um, and I'll tell you a little later about how I ended up doing yeah, that, yeah. but uh, I've been in leadership roles most of that time. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Now, that's good to hear. And Look, I just want to learn a little bit more about you on a more personal level, so maybe yeah. tell us a little about your journey growing up. Sure. So, knowing that I'm a regional principal, people might make assumptions, or have pictures in their mind, who is this guy, what was his past like? I'm a POM, came from England, I had to become here, we were 10 pound POMs, my dad was a bricklayer and his skills of laying bricks and particularly fire bricks for furnaces were needed in Australia in the 60s Yep. and so I became on a boat, I turned two on the boat and uh, my dad built furnaces so when you go down to Quinana and you see all that pollution puffing out, so, ah, yes. sorry my dad did build those, <laughs> Yes. Yes. yeah, yeah, so he did that first of all in Wyala. Um, and then we came across to Quinana. Yeah, and was there any particular reason why you guys came to Perth specifically? Or Yeah, well, um, so the the first job was in Wyala, which people look it up, it's sort of like where does South Australia meet New South Wales meet everywhere else. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Um, so we caught a boat to Melbourne, and then I'm not sure how we must have bussed or trained or something mm. to get there. Um, but on the way, there was a stop at Fremantle, and my dad said... Not that I recall, because I was two, but my sister tells me. Um, my dad said, we're going to come back here. Yeah, well, I want to be here. And the opportunity to build furnaces in Quinana came up. Yeah. My dad was so keen. He was in his uh, 40s, and he had driven a car in England. He bought his first car, did his first test, got his license, and he drove across the Norrible. Yeah, wow. And here we are in WA. And I've lived in WA since I was three and a half. Oh, since you're three and a half and never never lived anywhere else? No, I uh, travelled a lot, been around the world, been in lots of places, but never lived anywhere other than WA. Yeah, right. Okay, then, well, WA represent, I say. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> so perhaps maybe a little bit more about yourself like as a teenager, maybe. What was what was your, I guess, sure. your teenage years, high school journey? Sure. You know, what, tell us a little bit about the yeah. younger Kevin. Yeah, well, I, I'm tempted, and in fact, I will. I'll go a bit younger. Yeah. So, um... I'm one of three, 
and I think I can say honestly on this podcast that I'm an accident. Um, my brother was 17 and my sister was 13. Ah, right. Okay. Um, so I was a ring boy at their weddings when I was five. Yeah. They were 18 and 22 when they got married. Um, and from the age of five, got myself to school because mum and dad would have each gone to work. Dad is a bricklayer, mum doing cleaning or cooking at various places. And I let myself in because uh, dad was still at work and mum was either still at work or helping my sister out with babies. Mm. My sister got married at 18, had her first at 19 and struggled a little with that. So wow. mum was around there a lot. Yes. So from five, I just did my thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rode my bike around and catch up with mates and ride down sand dunes. There might have been some for sale signs that were good metal for actually taking off properties and waxing them and riding them down sand dunes. Oh. <laughs> so that's what my mates and I got up to. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So um, in my teenage years, yeah. uh, made good friends at school. I thought I'd leave school in year 10, like all my friends, or third year as we knew it. And a lot of my friends got jobs in, because the industrial area around Quinana and Rockingham mm. easily got jobs. Um, but my dad was very keen that I stayed on, because neither my brother or sister did. Mm-hmm. And um, school came easy to me. So I'm that annoying guy that always knew all the right answers and put my hand up early when I was in my younger years. And about mid-primary, I got the idea, maybe I don't have to let everybody know I know the answer. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And then sit there frustrated when you listen to someone give the wrong answer. And you know, oh, I should have just said it. <laughs> um, so... And all through primary and high school, I never did homework because I, anything that was set, I got it done in class. So. All right. So you you were able just to get it done. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So, once I got home, which was usually ride home or some between we lived around the area, sometimes called a bus. Um, once I was home, ride my bike with mates and come in at some point, let myself in the house and heat up something for dinner. Yeah. Sounds like a very typical childhood in that sense. Yeah. 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 And got into motorbikes early um, because my brother, being 17 years older, so like when I was 10, he's 27, he's got a few cars at the time working on them. So I'd pass spanners and taking stuff apart and learned how to take a fuel pump off or how to take a transmission out of a car and yeah, all those sorts of things that you learn. So, and I have a little toy car now, I have a little MX-5 convertible, that is my fun. Oh, nice. That's my well-being at the moment. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's giving you life at the moment. It's like, that's yeah, right. I love this car. That yeah, that's right. I love my kids. Do love my kids and my granddaughter. But, <laughs> but the my... car's up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my teenage years. Um, yeah. And because I stayed on, I didn't know mm. what subjects to do, and you had to choose subjects. Yeah. My parents had no idea what to choose. Yeah. Um, maths and science just made sense to me and came to me. So I yeah. did double maths, physics and chemistry, English and economics. Didn't know what that was going to lead to. Mm. So this was in high school that you were, yeah. you were doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So then I just didn't know then, well, what do you do? Mm. Like when this finishes, yeah. what's the next step? Yeah. Um, so being in Rockingham holiday town really we lived there of course all the time and everybody else came and went for holidays mm. um and there was 10 of us at Rockingham that started the double maths and five of us that finished mm. and the maths teacher and his wife used to have us over um for dinners sometimes and just chat and he realized we had no idea about our future mm. and so he just asked us questions he wasn't directing us anyway 
And then as he asked me questions, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. And then he said, oh, maybe I'll direct you. He said, no, why don't you just teach maths, mate? Mm. So that's what I did. And I'm so glad. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you had that quite influential teacher who mm. asked the provocative questions that get yeah. you really thinking. But then it sounds like he was just like, you know what? You're good at this. Yeah. And you could probably teach people. Yeah. This. And so I'm just so glad. When I got to uni, I realized that people were doing engineering and metallurgy. And I was like, oh, what are these things? Mm. Maybe I could have done that. Mm. But I just stuck the course and I'm so happy. Like, I, I feel a great sense of fulfillment. There are thousands of young people and some not so young now. It might mm. be in their 40s or 50s yeah. that I've helped in some way at wow. some step in their life. So yeah. um, it's funny when you teach the, the kids of kids you taught, right? Mm. So I've done a bit of that as well. So it sounds like it wasn't so much like a single profound moment that made you go, oh, I want to be a teacher. It was more of this kind of slow, evolving process of which you mm. then look back at your life and go, wow, actually, this has been such a fulfilling career path that I've, I've mm. chosen. Absolutely. And um, I genuinely say this, so it's not just on this podcast. Yeah. Um, people ask me and I will genuinely say it's the best job I've ever had. Oh, wow, that's that's fantastic to hear that. And I just love that we get to yeah. speak into young people's lives. Yeah. And in my role, I get to uh, help and coach people who do that. Mm. So I, I just feel a great sense of fulfillment. Mm. Um, God has put different experiences before me mm. through my career and in my life, and some mm. of those have been great, and some have mm. been, wow, that was hard. Mm. And now I look back and go, oh, actually, I know why now. Yeah. The lessons I learn... Yeah. have helped me and I've drawn on that. That's a lot to do with how I lead. Yes, well, that's something I want to ask about. You know, I mean, perhaps before we dive right into kind of your leadership journey, I'm curious just to get your point of view of what you think. What do you think makes a good leader? A good leader? The best kind of leader is the leader who thinks they don't have to always be right and they're okay with saying, actually, I don't know. Mm. And you surround yourself with great people who are experts in different things and actually defer to them and go, Wow. Actually, wouldn't mind hearing your voice in this situation. I yes. think you've got something to say. Because yes. they do. Yes. Um, I think a good leader encourages and builds people up, mm. sees the good and the potential in people, mm. and helps people to see things about themselves. Because we can't all see everything about ourselves, right? Mm. I certainly can't see everything about myself. So I ask for pushback from the team and go, mm. Just speak to me. If you see something that, you know, you think I should address. Mm. And so we have that relationship within the North Metro and I've seen the growth of some great people. Mm. Um, they just feel like they've got the license to have a go at something and know I've got their back. Yeah, good. Sounds like humility as well as empowering people seem to be yeah. one of those two big traits then for yourself in, yeah. in the way you lead. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And um, perhaps then tell us how your faith has shaped your life and leadership. Sure. So um, I wasn't always a Christian. My parents weren't. But um, so the woman is now my wife of 32 years. Um, when I first met her, she was a Christian. And I was like, what? You go to church on Sundays? Don't you just go there for weddings? Like, <laughs> uh, you get up every Sunday morning and mm -hmm. go. So um, I was teaching in Narragin at the time. And she was an occupational therapist there. But she went to Perth some weekends and I still went to the church. And I was curious and thought, what's this thing? You stand up, you sit down, you sing, you, mm. you hear from the Bible and mm. like, what is this? And it, there was a truth that I yeah, thought, oh, 
I haven't heard this sort of message before and there's mm. something about this. And the pastor was very great, really one-on-one. Tuesdays he'd catch up with me and I could ask him any questions. Yeah, wow. So we would either read the Bible together or we'd read some article together and mm. he was more than willing for me to just be curious yes. and ask him. Yes, so you asked a lot of the big questions around faith and with this yeah. particular trusted pastor that yeah. you had in your life. So if we've got a moment, I can share how I became a Christian. Yeah, I've got lovely. a moment. Yeah. So I feel very fortunate I've got a moment. So it was Easter, 1987, and um, my now wife, Rose, invited me to an Easter camp. Great speaker, good studies, and then on the Saturday, all the men were brought together, and we were told in the dark on Sunday we would be woken up before the sun rose, lay the chairs out in a cross, put a cross in a particular place, and as the sun rose, it would the shadow of that cast, mm. um, and we'd have a Easter Sunday service. I thought, mm. oh, okay, all right, I can get that. Mm. And then at that service, I felt for the first time, I'm not okay. Mm. All my life, I'd try to be a good guy. I thought, but I haven't got everything right. Mm. But that's okay that I haven't got everything right. And God's there, God gets that, and he's willing to work with me on that, and he forgives me for that. And there was a deep-seated anger I had towards my brother, and I had to get to a point where I could speak with him and forgive him for that. Mm, wow. So Easter Sunday, 1987, as the sun rose and we said, he's risen, mm. he's risen indeed, mm. I got down on my knees and I cried, wow. and I realised mm. this is all true. Wow. It, it no longer became just this abstract truth, but a, a deeper truth that is... True out there, but also true inside of you. Yeah. The sounds of it, about meeting, yeah. meeting God in that moment. That he would die so that I could know that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Wow. And that's a very profound, I think, even just life lesson more generally. As we go through life, to realise that um, there are grace in the moments that, that we need it. And, mm. and to have that animating our whole life as yeah. well. So... Yeah, from that moment on, I've been led by, um, in my life, it's of course changed the way I live my life. I always try to be a good guy, but mm. now I was thinking, well, what would God want me to do in this? And what, mm. what is a God, godly way of looking at this thing? Mm. Um, reshaped it. Not just morals and values, which are very important, but mm. um, actually having God at the centre mm. and actually other people at the centre. Mm. I don't think I was ever selfish, but I'm certainly up on myself last now, mm. most definitely. Mm. And did your faith start to kind of reshape the way you engaged in your vocation, like yeah. around teaching? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, even to the point in classes, so if I'm honest with you as a teacher, mm. um, it was a show. Every time I had a lesson, it was a show. Mm. I came in, I put on a character, and um, you know, it was a fun time in the class, and that's the way I did all my classes mm. and I did it differently depending on the age of the students and some of the characters in the class and I'd bounce off some of the characters in the class and they'd bounce off me and that's kids learn stuff right mm. and then I realized yeah that's okay but humor can go to lots of places and there's some humor that's good and some that's probably not healthy mm. yeah and so changed the way I did some of those things rethought and challenged myself and mm. God certainly challenged me about how you about was I doing it just for the fun of the lesson? I'm always doing it so the kids can learn, but 
Mm. I got a lot out of it and maybe I needed to put myself further back in the queue and just make sure I was doing the right thing by these kids. Yeah. So you wanted to have your faith become more kind of intentional in that classroom space yeah. around how you engage yourself, like in terms yeah. of the posture you had towards the students. Yeah. So there was almost that inner transformation that uh, through your faith and that enabled you to be a particular type of teacher. In that, yeah. In and that I, and I um, still tried to, you know, go in there, did the show for the hour, that was the lesson, <laughs> even if we were doing fractions. Um, and, but really looking through God's eyes about mm. what this was about and how it's helping each student. Mm. It changed everything. Mm. Um, so it changed some of the friendships that I had and people I chose to keep seeing more of and those that I chose to see less of. Mm. And um, just curiously then, with kind of dovetailing still with faith, but now with the transition to leadership. Mm. So maybe tell us a bit about your leadership journey and also where faith factored into that for sure. yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I can look back now and I can see God's hand and all, but it was just weird. I never had a career path. Mm. So I was a math teacher and taught in state schools. I thought that's what I'd do forever. Mm. Um, and had a random phone call from a principal of a Christian school saying, oh, I'll be baptised for a head of maths. Oh, good. Good on you. Mm. Yeah, about five people have mentioned your name. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> no, we'd actually like you to apply for the job. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so I did. And funny story, just timing was such. I was about to go on long service and take my family to Tasmania for a while. Mm. And my wife said, this guy can't interrupt our holiday. Yeah. Um, and so I had an interview the day we got back and yeah, started a job at Lake June Lot Baptist College as the head of maths. And wow. from there, um, from, to basically how I ended up in leadership, I suppose, and then how I did it. Mm. And I just, you know, introduced prayer time. I was completely at a Christian college. We didn't pray as a team. So that's what we did. And we looked out for each other. And everybody was doing their own things and writing their own programs and their own tests and uh, Let's do this together. Let's collaborate and let's mm. help each other and let's get the best from each other. Mm. And people felt more freed up by that. Mm. Some found it difficult to drop the guard. But mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, so my leadership, it's about empowering. It's about, and I had people say, oh, you could present at a conference on this. You're really good at this. And the whole idea that they would go to a conference and be a presenter. I went, mean, yeah, well, how about we co do it the first time, then you do it on your own the next time. Mm. Um, so they could bring something back into education, but they could put something, believe something about themselves. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, so I love building people up and releasing them. And yeah. Mm, and I guess it dovetail back to what you said earlier about empowerment and also the humility to learn. And I guess for faith, I mean, that's all that it's just, it ties so well together yeah. in terms of kind of what it means to have that servant leadership as yeah. is often said within kind of Christian circles. Yeah. Absolutely. And everything is around your values. Mm. I think you point everything to your mission and your purpose. And we look at all to one about changing lives one at a time. Mm. And we also about building up communities, mm. um, but also through our values of actually students. You know, it's relating with students so they can transform, so they can flourish. Now, yes. that I can relate to. Yes. And that I can centre everything around. Yes. And every conversation we have and every activity we do and every decision we make, you know, how is that relating? Mm. Mm. How is that about transforming lives? Yes. How is that helping students to flourish? Yes, yes. And so that gives us a centre point mm. that makes sure we're godly and make sure we're 
building into students' lives. Mm. So, mm. is that lens you work with both with the staff and, of course, with with the students? Then, by the sounds of it, yeah, absolutely, it's the same. Yes, yeah. In light of our values in Altalon, yep. What is one key thought you've learnt in your life in either relationships, transformation, or flourishing to leave with us today? I think the main thing is if we're being honest and truly focused on relating with other people mm-hmm. and we relate with them, like especially young people on campus, we can just get alongside them and relate and mm-hmm. build into their lives. But if we do it with the purpose of them actually transforming mm-hmm. and actually move it down the chain of values, everything will work well. So a great example of that, we had a young girl... Um, I won't say her name, not even first name, but she was at Mulroy, who had actually stayed beyond school leaving age and um, thought nothing was ever going to happen for her. And of course the staff on campus knew her well and spoke well into her life. And I was there enough what day a week I'd pop in that she knew who I was and I took the punt and I sat with her and said, what if I told you I believe you can finish this course? What if I tell you I believe you can get a work placement in this area? And she said, well, if you believe it, then maybe I can believe it's true. Mm. She finished her certificate course. Wow. She walked across the stage at the end of wow. the year. The work placement she'd had then gave her a job. Mm. And while she's actually, she had a bridging course, wow. which um, is now in the actual degree course, and that same work placement is giving her practical work. Mm. So there's an example of relating with someone. Wow. Wow, yes. And that, that transformation that occurred in that person by valuing the kind of the, the relationships, the flourishing as well, kind of in that particular young student. I really like just listening to your story and been learning so much about yourself, Kevin, today. And I think some valuable lessons that we could also take away as staff and for any other listeners mm. who might be listening, whether it be parents or people in the workplace, I especially like the aspects where you spoke about the humility. So to be able to kind of listen to others, realize we don't know it all and that we can fail ourselves. Mm, and also that empowerment to be like, what, what do you think? How can we grow in this? And I think for the staff or even for anyone else listening to this in different workplaces or different spheres of life to be able to take those lessons and kind of spread it out mm. into their particular role in their Absolutely. particular workplace. Um, yeah. Well, Kevin, it's been so good having you on the show. Um, thank you very much for giving us your, your time and just for everything that you do um, in this organisation as well. Your leadership is so valued, not just professionally, but also personally. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Heartbeat. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show and share far and wide. This has been a podcast produced by Alter One College. To find out more about Alter One College, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or visit the college website at www.alter-one.com.au.